You're listening to MeSearch, a podcast featuring Filipino perspectives. In this show, we talk to trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses in the community to find out more about what they do. Join us as we learn and get to the bottom of things. Stay tuned. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, me searchers. Hey, me searchers. Hey. I, you know what, what I do? just did right now? I like what? went to push up my glasses, <gasps> but they're not there because I <laughs> got LASIK. Congratulations on Thanks. your eyesight. Thank you. I've been trying to like get out of the habit of touching my face. Yeah. Because like with glasses, I'm like, I used to constantly be like pushing up my frames and now Aww. I keep poking my face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like phantom glasses syndrome. Yeah, it's really strange. It's like just a weird habit. Like Aww. now I'm getting out of that habit and now I'm getting used to like seeing my face without frames. It's Aww. still like a little weird, mm. but it's cool. I like it. Oh, well, I think you look great. Thank you. With or without glasses. And I'm just very happy that your eyesight is is wonderful. Yeah, 2020, y'all. It's 2020, like 2020? 2020. Holy yeah. moly. I'm 2030. Yeah. Ooh, does is Last that time I better checked. or worse? It's worse. Like one oh, of my okay. eyes is I think my left is I don't know if I'm that one is nearsighted or farsighted. I don't know. Okay. But it's a little bit more blurry on this side. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why can't it just be the same? Like the same know. level of blurry. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> How have you been? What's new with you? Oh, my. So, a lot, actually. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. For me, a lot. So, um, early this morning, I faced one of my biggest, biggest fears. Mm-hmm. Um, really a phobia. I don't, I think I might have talked about this on the pod before, but I have had this very, very severe, 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 severe phobia of veins. And Mm. I I know for folks listening, it's like, what does that even mean? Um, It's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've had a phobia of veins, which has, um, which has kind of, disadvantaged me <laughs> in in many ways just like even touching the inside of my arm putting my arm outwards um because of this phobia is some is like a symptom of that um feeling my heartbeat at times is also a symptom of that um so getting my blood drawn has been a very huge struggle for me. And I know that this is such a, a a mundane thing in taking care of your health for most. But for me, it has brought me so much anxiety and fear. And it really came to me in like sixth grade. Um, and ever since then, I've just been so, so, so afraid after this one incident where... Maybe we'll talk about it another time because I don't want to get, I don't want to take up too much time about this, about what had happened and, um, 
But anyway, so uh, I, I I think that might have been my last blood draw when I was 12. Oh, Until, you were like a little child. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until three years ago that I had my first blood draw since then. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't want to uh, live my life not knowing <laughs> how my health is doing. And I know the blood draw is is a map of how you're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, trying to be a more responsible person with my health um, and wanting to be my best self for myself, for my family, for Mike. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just said I have to I have to suck it up, and I need to I need to figure out how I'm going to um, get myself to a blood draw so I can take care of myself. Anyway, I I've seen therapists about this amongst other things, mm-hmm. and it really hasn't been until my previous um, or not my previous my current um, therapist Sharon. Um, who's really, really, really helped me through um, this phobia of mine. So this morning, I had my physical, my annual physical, and I also scheduled a blood draw. Oh, my god! Yeah, th- I was supposed to get my blood draw two weeks before my physical so they can talk to me about, like, my results and whatnot. Yeah. And they were going to send me to a lab, but I honestly looked at <laughs> the reviews for this place because this is such a sensitive thing for me. And the reviews were very, very bad. So I was like, oh. I can't be with – um, I can't have a phlebotomist who doesn't care about my experience – draw my blood i and the last time i got my blood draw three years ago the phlebotomist was so kind i cried for an hour almost until they could finally like get the needle in my arm because i spent an hour just crying so 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 scared um oh yeah so i think i might have missed that part in my story but yeah so three years ago i finally got my blood draw it was scary it took me an hour of crying so they finally got the blood dr- got the blood draw and so today i I decided to get my blood drawn and i did it and a few days ago i had a session with sharon where we went through this visualization of me talking to my sixth grade self in that room where i was so afraid and so traumatized and it was like present me guiding and helping through this visualization this scared 12 year old version of myself and she was so scared and no one was really there to like help her through it and it was just so nice to to feel the comfort that I could give myself and I couldn't have been able to do this and use this practice this morning if it weren't for my therapist. And so <laughs> oh, shout outs to Sharon. Shout outs to Sharon. This is I cried a little bit this morning, but it, I didn't <laughs> I didn't cry for an hour. It was just like a few teardrops. 
Mm-hmm. Um, once I got in the room and like the doctor came in, it wasn't even for the blood draws for the physical part. And I was like, oh my God, here we go. And I was like, okay, I'm just letting you know that I'm scared. And I go to therapy about uh, to, you know, help me through this blood draw situation that I must go through. Um, but she wasn't the one who drew my blood. Another nurse came in, but like talking, doing all the physical annual stuff first yeah. kind of like helped me. And then I had to wait and it was a long waiting period, but it was just a lot of present me talking to my sixth grade self, just like how I did a few days ago with Sharon. And um, it wasn't as easy, <laughs> like while I was in it today mm-hmm. as it was when I was in therapy, but it was a very, very, very important tool that I use today. And I honestly don't know if I would be able, have been able to do what I did today without therapy. So. Oh my God. Shout outs to Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. She listens to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. We love Sharon for being a fellow me searcher. Um, And that's, that's a wonderful segue into our episode for today. Before we get into that though, I do want to say like, I'm so proud of you uh, for being able to get through that experience. um, Just because I know that you've had some trouble like gearing up for it um, emotionally and whatnot. Um, I had a lot of uh, blood draws also. Well, not also, you've had very few. I personally have had a lot um, Mm -hmm. like in high school and in college, just because like um, when I was in high school and in college, I was on Accutane and like, you're supposed to get your blood drawn like very frequently while you're Mm -hmm. on that medication so that they know that it doesn't like melt your insides or whatever. I don't know exactly what it was for. Oh my God. But anyway, and I've gotten plenty of like blood draws since then. Even though I've had many experiences, every time I do feel like a sense of anxiety and I tense up and I have like moments of worry. So I just imagine that for you, not having had very many, your experience is already like amplified. Like your uh, your worry and, and like hesitation and like anxiety um, is amplified because you haven't had you haven't had many experiences. And also, like, coupled with your, like, phobia um, and, like, your own internal thing that you're uh, having to to battle, like, it's probably, like, times 100. Oh, man. So I'm proud of you. I'm just – I just <laughs> wanted to call you. that out. I'm very proud of Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so in this episode, we are talking to a very special person. Um, Crystal, do you want to introduce them? Yes, so today we are speaking to Jen Torres. She is a dear friend of mine. I've known her since high school, and she really is just so, so wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful human being. And she is a marriage and family therapist and instructor at Loma Linda University. And I'm so excited for y'all to listen to all the wonderful nuggets of wisdom Jen has to share with us. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get those whiz nugs.
Hi, y'all. Today on MeSearch, we have marriage and family therapist and instructor at Loma Linda University, Jen Torres. Woo! Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us, Jen. Um, so, side note, me and Jen used to go to high school together, and we used to dance yeah. our butts off during uh, lunch hour. Because oh that's gosh. what you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we before oh we God. ask like podcast related questions or like topic of conversation related questions, can I ask you, Jen, what is your favorite memory of Crystal from high school? Oh my God, I have so many, like so many. We would talk on the phone a lot, like talk on the phone a lot. We would like sneak out of our houses to see each other late at night. <laughs> <laughs> Dance the lunch hour away. <laughs> yes, we've eaten at place like restaurants, like so many. Oh my god, some good times. I could have picked one. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> y'all and your oh. shenanigans. I love it. Shenanies, shenanies. <laughs> we love it, and we're so happy that you're here. And I am. I'm so happy to see you. It's been a minute, um, but yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, so, oh, and also, I'm just so excited that you're here representing for our community within, um, you know, this, this, uh, space, um, that we don't typically talk about. Um, so, um, on that note, we don't often see folks in our Filipino community who do go into the medical field, specifically taking up counseling. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your path into this specific field? It's a very long story. So I will give you this summary, right? And then just ask me follow-up questions. Okay, so I wear a lot of hats these days. I'm a couple, couple marriage and family therapists. I'm involved in research. I teach students enrolled in um, counseling and marriage and family therapy programs. And I'm also a public health professional, so I just do a lot of different things. Um, so my story really starts before I got into college. Like growing up, I was, you know, the child of Filipino immigrants. From a very young age, I knew that I was different, right? Like my parents spoke multiple languages at home. Our food was different. Our families are very large and energetic and passionate, super hospitable, but People at school weren't like that, or people in other places weren't like that. So I already knew that I was different, um, which isn't a bad thing. I think it started to feel um, really difficult maybe when I was growing up and I'd start to see my friends being able to do all of these different things that I couldn't do or that I was pressured to sort of be a certain way. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of made me, it really impacted my, my mental health. So when I got to college, I'm like, what can I do about this, right? I feel like there's a part of this community that a lot of people don't understand um, that that I feel like is really misunderstood. Um, and I also really like to talk to people. So it kind of makes sense that I became a therapist or started to go that route. Um, so I got uh, my bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, I finished that and felt like I needed to grow up a little to be a therapist. So I took a few years off. I worked in research for a little bit, and then I came back. I, By back, I mean I went back to school, got my master's degree in family therapy, and then 
right after that, like jumped into this PhD program in systems families and couples, which is basically a PhD program for a couple and family therapists if they want to pursue a doctoral degree. Um, cause I wanted to do research. I wanted to teach. I wanted to have as many opportunities as I could to sit at the table. And that means having a little bit more power to do that. Um, so after, shortly after I started my PhD program, I was really, I had seen a lot of these mental health experiences, right? Uh, people would come to me and I would be in this position to have to, you know, quote, treat them. Um, but I wondered if there was a way that we could maybe prevent these things from happening. Is there a way that we can change things on a much larger scale? So after I finished my coursework in my PhD program, I started um, a Master of Public Health in Population Medicine um, because I, I, I wanted to prevent and I wanted to work with the community. Um, so now I'm, I'm at the tail end of my PhD wearing these different hats and working on my dissertation, which is on Filipino-American health. Um, and yeah, that's basically where I, where I am today. Um, it's a very detailed story with a lot of pain and heartache and excitement all in one. Congratulations on reaching almost the end of your PhD program. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. You better go, Jen. Yeah. Yeah, go, Jen. Yes. And championing our community within this field, again, is amazing. Going back to... Mental health, um, it's such a taboo within the Filipino community. Um, can you talk a little bit more about why you think we often neglect this aspect of our health? That is such a good question. I think about it all the time. Okay, so let me start off by saying that 3% of Filipinos utilize mental health services and that 75% have never used mental health services. This is a vast majority of our community that's not seeking help for mental health experiences that may, that they might have. So we have to take a step back and really explore our understanding of health, right? Health and well-being and where these ideas come from. In America, our idea of health is created by folks in dominant positions of power, and basically Filipinos were left out of the conversation. So when we say, you know, Filipinos neglect this aspect of our health, my reaction is like, yeah, I agree with that. Um, that totally makes sense to me. It makes sense for my experience. You know, being a child of, um, of immigrants um, and having this experience in the United States. But when we take a step back and we look at the story of the community, um, I see that my ancestors and my relatives might have a different way, not better or worse, just a different and unique way of looking at them. So their experiences are also valid. And their experiences are also misunderstood in the same way that I feel like my experiences are understood. So in America, um, Language, there is language to just, there's language already built into the culture to describe what mental health is. When we think back in kindergarten, right, we have these worksheets where we talk about feelings, we talk about um, our emotions, and our teachers ask us, how are you doing today? That's already talking about mental health from a very, from a very, very, very young age. Now, I don't know what it's like in the Philippines. I didn't grow up, but I can suspect that maybe it was such a different context that we didn't have, that they didn't have the language to talk about anxiety or depression. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, so I have my, my grandfather. I, he's not, no longer with us, but I can remember him saying, I have high blood. I have high blood. And I'm like, what is high blood? Is he talking about his blood pressure? 
now that I'm older and I'm doing this work and like just getting to know the experiences of our community, I think it was actually talking about anxiety, like mm-hmm. high blood, I have heart palpitation, right? So if we have a Filipino American that's talking about anxiety, they might say, I feel so flustered. I feel like I'm having a panic attack. A Filipino American, our parents might say, oh, um, my blood pressure is, is rising and my heart is beating really fast. Um, so those are a couple examples of how, um, you know, in our, in our culture, it just might look a little different. Um, there's this thing called, uh, smiling depression, right? I think that depression, Filipinos compared to other groups might actually have higher rates of depression. They might have more symptoms. Um, but there's also this phenomenon called smiling depression where people feel the need to smile, but they hide and stuff their feelings and they don't talk about it. So maybe a different way of looking at this is depression for our parents' generation isn't really an emotional experience. It's more like a physical one. Um, but all, all of these are valid experiences of health. The clarity that you bring to like what it is that people experience makes me realize like, hey, I've had those experiences too. And it's not until like you get to talk about this information or hear this information from somebody like you who knows what you're talking about that you realize like this is something that is relevant to my lived experience. And I should probably, you know, explore more of that as it relates to me. Like this is not something that is an experience only for other people. I'm sure this is a lot more common um, than people realize because they don't know that what they experience is directly tied to your mental health. Like, how do you, how do you, yeah. How do you advocate for mental health when our parents don't really call it that, or there isn't like a name for that, or it's non, it's non-existent. Right. And I, I feel like in some ways that's, that's what it is. Like, it's just, it's, it's neglected and it's not acknowledged because in their world, it's non-existent or it doesn't exist in the same way that it, it exists in our world. Do you think that there is an opportunity to start including that language for the older generation? And what could that possibly look like? Because, you know, I, I definitely think that some of my family members, um, definitely uh, have experienced depression for sure, um, and anxiety. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it's too late for them because I, I don't believe that. And like, it would be wonderful to see the older generation talk to someone, but yeah, like without naming it, it's like, how, how can we address it? So how do you see that? Can you see that happening and how? Okay. So this is why I like public health because there are people that are never going to walk into my therapy room, right? And these might be our old, older relatives, people from our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation that are just never going to walk into therapy. So how can we help them, right? So I have, you know, had experience working with the community to try to just get messages of mental health just out there, right? Like you could have like a fact sheet that just talks about feelings or you could have a talk sheet or like a, uh, like a handout that talks about what your body might experience because I think in our culture, that is the language around mental health. It's through our physical experiences, 
right? So it's getting messages out to the community like that. And some of like just the advocacy work that doesn't involve walking into a therapy room. Like I, I try to be as involved as I can be in a lot of different places. So if it means like doing a really casual talk at some Filipino event, just talking about my work, that's one way to do it. Or, um, I, oh, I was on like uh, the Filipino news channel once, ABS CBN. Um, they interviewed me about mental health and I'm like, oh my, that's awesome. Like we're like the Philippines was listening to that. So there's another way to do it. Like you can't expect everyone to come in, but you can also do a lot of things to go to them, right? And to get help them get support. Um, and I do believe that with this community that doesn't come in, they're getting help somewhere, right? So it's within our communities. It's within our Filipino communities. It's with their relatives. It's with their extended family. It's with their friends and relatives. So I think that those conversations are actually happening. I think our generation is doing an amazing thing of challenging our elders, which is like kind of scary because, you know, <laughs> you have to respect the hierarchy. You know, I think we're doing a really good job with social media and just being out there and putting ourselves out there and challenging some of these ideas that have been really oppressive for a lot of us. It's wonderful to hear that there's so many opportunities to normalize conversations about mental health so that people have the language to use to be able to identify what it is they're experiencing or what it is other people, loved ones are experiencing. One thing that comes to mind from this conversation is the matter of access. And you said, you know, people may never find their way to a therapy room and it could be by choice, but also maybe they don't have the means to actually go visit. So maybe what are some things that people can do to work on their mental health if they don't have the capacity to visit a therapist, even if they want to? So since COVID happened, I think a lot of the mental health clinics have been really, really, really slammed. So it might be hard to get an appointment. So that's if they, if they do want to come in. There are clinics that are pretty, but if they do have availability, there are a lot of clinics that are willing to help the community out and they charge on like a sliding scale. I have worked, I have purposely worked at clinics where I can see anybody regardless of your income status or your ability to pay. So I had clients that were paying as low as $10 to see me. And I, I was committed to that work. Like I want to work with people who can't come in. So there are clinics out there that will do the work. They'll, they'll do the work remotely because of COVID. Now we're doing these telehealth sessions. Um, and if the, if therapy doesn't work, then there are, um, online, I was doing this, I was doing, doing a lot of Google searches for resources when COVID hit and people couldn't go to therapy. There are so many organizations out there that are doing like workshops and over Zoom or, or video workshops on, on parenting um, that people could join. Sometimes they're free. Um, there's a lot of just information that people could read about on the internet. Um, I have a lot of clinics have like Instagram pages where they'll, they'll just post stuff about mental health. I have colleagues, um, not myself. I've gotten that too involved yet kind of busy but I have colleagues that will that have Instagram Instagram accounts where they post about mental health there's like there's books out there that people can read um, so there's a lot of different resources for people if they do want to go that route and get get some help whether it's in a therapy room or not these are all really great resources um, yeah can you speak to to our listeners who 
regardless of generation, I feel like even our generation, it's like, ooh, like mental health, like, ooh, therapy. I go to therapy and like, it was like a secret that I would keep, you know, because it's like, oh, everyone's going to think so poorly of me and like, look down on me. But it's not, I know that it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's great to just talk to someone, whether you're going through something or you're just trying to keep afloat, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, can you can you talk to our listeners who may be afraid to go to therapy? Um, what can they expect when they go to see someone? Yeah, so I, I love therapy. I there's I, I, I wouldn't be doing the work if I wasn't, you know, a client. And I know what it's like to be on the other side. Like, in order for me to do the work, I have to do the work too. So I will just say, just to destigmatize, and to demystify this whole magical therapy process, which is, which isn't really that, that magical. It's just two people connecting with each other um, in a very safe space where people are challenged. Um, like I've been to therapy, like at different times in my life and for different things too. Um, therapy is for anyone who wants to work on their relationship with themselves and to work with and to improve the relationship with other people. Like if you just want to be a better version of yourself, therapy is awesome. If you just want, or you're going through something really, really, really difficult, therapy is great for you. It's really for anyone who just wants to do the self, the, the work on themselves. Um, in terms of what to expect, um, I can't speak for other therapists. I know what it's like in my therapy room. Um, I, I think it's really important for me to have, um, you know, a relationship with my client that is really truthful and honest. So they do get to know me. Like I've laughed in the therapy room. I make a lot of jokes because that's my style. Um, they ask me about my interests and my hobbies. I've, I've shared really personal things. I shared with them. I shared my mental health struggles with them. So they, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to let them know like, okay, yeah, you, you aren't alone in this. Like I've also had these experiences, right? And that's okay. Um, it's really important to just have that relationship. Um, I think it's important for people to challenge the therapist too. Um, if you are, are apprehensive about going to, th- it's like dating, right? You, you meet with a therapist and you're like, do we have a connection? Do we want to go on this second date or second session? Like, listen to your gut. It's the most important thing is that you are developing that, the very real connection with them and that you are connecting with them. You're going to, you might be pouring your heart out to this person. So it's really up to them to earn your trust too and for you to build a relationship. So a really skilled therapist can handle your pushback, can handle all your expectations can handle what you're bringing into the room. Like it's really part of the work that we do and the training that we do. Um, I wish I knew that in like the beginning of my time getting into, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Okay. My last therapist, um, he was this old white fella and he was like, He's older, and so, like, I feel like bedtime was a little bit sooner, and <laughs> I would have to see him after after class, and that one was falling asleep. <laughs> Unacceptable. Do not see a therapist that's going to fall asleep on you. I don't know how you could do it. Like, it's just a really intense emotional experience for me. I don't know how you can fall asleep. I, I don't know either, but he did. And also it was kind of like this disconnect because he didn't really understand like 
what it means to be like Filipino and how we have very nuanced and specific uh, struggles and things to like go through is, you know, um, and so like the capacity of knowledge he had about Filipinos was like, oh, yeah, when I run into nurses, like they give me lumpia sometimes. And I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> so oh, that hurt. it hurts to hear it, 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 it. So it's similar to my experience. I have yet to like have a as a client, right? I have yet to meet a therapist who is Filipino American. There's just not a lot out there. So, but you know, we'll just try to find someone else. And with the people that I found, you know, as good as a therapy, it's as good as a therapy as it's going to get where, with where we are today in the field. Right. So I've, I've kind of accepted that, but to find someone and to meet and connect with someone that truly understands my culture. And I'm not, I'm not expecting them to just know everything about it, but there really is, this really needs to be this, like this stance and this humility around getting to know someone from this other cultural background. I, I, the number of microaggressions of experience in therapy is like, you're already vulnerable. And then your experience is microaggressions. Why need therapy for the therapy? It's a really terrible experience. But I think that's why I'm so passionate about the work is this, this can no longer happen. If you want Filipino Americans to come into therapy, we're going to have to change how we do therapy. And that hasn't been written yet. Like I am working my, like my therapy modalities are like, okay, I know what I've been, I've learned and I can't go any further in my education. But this isn't going to work for my community. So we're going to have to invent something different. Right. And that's, I think that's where I am. That's my, probably my life's goal. Like if, if I can accomplish that, I feel like I can die happy. I, it's going to be, it's going to take like 30 years, 50, and then whoever w- wants to come after me. But that is what I'm really committed to. And I think what really needs to change. If you could make a vision come true in terms of mental health for the Filipino community in the next five years, like what would you like to see? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. This is a really big, really, really, really big dream that I have. It's a, okay. It's the numbers that I talked about earlier where only like 3% of people, you know, seek like utilize mental health services. if we can get that number to go up, even by a little bit, that would be part of my dream. If Filipino Americans can, you know, live in this world where they're like, I have these experiences related to my mental health, or even I'm thinking about our parents where they have these physical symptoms and they don't know what to do with it. If they can go to someone who can truly validate those experiences and understand where they come from, like that, I, I, I might be able to die happy at that point. <laughs> like that would be like my dream. Okay, but you asked for the next five years. Um, <laughs> let me scale it back. Here I am telling you like what my plans are for the next 30. Um, next five years. If I can get, honestly, if I can get my dissertation done and I can do something with it because it hasn't been done. Um, I don't know. And a lot of people who do this work have books from the people behind me, actually, uh, who are doing the work. Like if, if I can get my dissertation done and I can do something with that data to, to improve our health and well-being, I, I would be really happy. Like, I feel like I can probably have, um, sleep a little bit better at night. I don't sleep a lot because I think about this stuff. Um, but I might be able to sleep a little bit better. I can, if I can get there in, in five years or if I can have more opportunities to talk about this, it's hard to get a seat at the table. I'm telling you, it's really hard as a Filipino American bisexual woman. You don't get invited to these tables, but if I can, 
get invited or maybe I have to like barge into the conference room with my own chair and I'm like, I'm sitting here. And then I, I get to actually speak, I would be happy. We're going to make that happen. Let us know how we can help yes. you. <laughs> We're definitely going to make that happen. And I am just so happy to know you. And it brings, oh God, I'm getting emotional because like you're, ugh, I've known you since forever. And it's just so beautiful what you're doing for our community and our well-being as a whole and as individuals. And we've been needing this. And you are part of this movement that can really help us just be ourselves a little bit more. Yes, that is exactly what I would, would would want. Like we can be ourselves. Like there are parts of ourselves that I think we're we've been socialized, you know, as Filipino Americans to hide. Like I, I mean, I, I hear two messages: like embrace being Filipino American, embrace your identity. Right? This is what I hear from my family, and then they're like, "But when you're out there, go conform." And I'm like, "What? What am I supposed to do?" Like. What? I'm not accepted no matter where I am. And it's it's really it's a really painful experience. And and you wonder why maybe we have symptoms of depression or we have these mental health struggles or why it's a struggle for us to just be. It's it's a struggle to thrive. It's a struggle. I think that my journey has been so difficult compared to my peers because of these roadblocks that are placed ahead of me because of my background. But that's exactly why I'm doing the work. My heart grows for you even more. And I love you for it. And we love you for it. And I thank you. I have this part. I am like, I feel like this This is what I've needed. I've, I've been feeling kind of stuck. And it happens. Um, when there isn't a path that's already forged for you, you, you feel lost because you're like, where do I go? There's no path. But I think I needed, you know, a conversation like this to be with people who truly understand what I'm doing. I don't have to like advocate for the community or justify some of the decisions that I'm making in the therapy room or with my research or why I'm acting like this in a certain context. Like you just get it. Like that is a gift that you've given me and I'm so appreciative of. What are a few tips or actions you would like our listeners to take related to all of what we've talked about today? So there are like small things and big things that we could do. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of things that we could do. Small things is to have conversations and to expose people to, I mean, to, to the things that we've talked about, right? Like we have to call it out. Like um, this might be random, but like skin whitening products, like I see I see ads for them and I'm like, no, right? That is harmful. That is wrong. And I, I, they need to be outlawed, right? Like I will make comments in the conversations with people about how, how awful they are. Okay. So those are small things like call it out in conversations that you have with people. Talk about your experience as a Filipino American to the extent that you feel safe. Right. And then there are like much bigger things that you can do. If you are in the healthcare system, like, I feel like our healthcare system has failed our community, right? We are not coming in to get help. We're, we're not coming in for to see doctors. We're not coming in to see um, therapists. Like, I feel like our healthcare system just doesn't meet our needs. If you're a healthcare professional, you have the power to change that in whatever capacity you're working in, 
right? With me, it's just, it's public health. So when COVID hit, I was like, I'm all about trying to advocate for Filipino Americans and Asian Americans and this community that I'm, that I'm around. I need to be involved with the public health team doing this work. Um, but you can absolutely, it doesn't matter what, what profession you're in. Like we can all come together and to do the work and we all have our strengths and gifts, right? There isn't, there's a one skill set that's better than the other. We need to work collectively to do that. Um, what else is there? What else can we do? So the conversation, the, the bigger change. Um, and also the thing that I'm most passionate about is I feel like we do need to bring in more Filipino American therapists. So I, I try when I have students that are in these programs, I, I look out for my Filipino American students a lot more than my other students, right? I give them a lot more attention because I know what it's like to just struggle and to be in a field where we are the minority, we are invisible. Um, and you're, you're dealing with having to learn how to, to be a clinician, but you're also dealing with some of this personal stuff. So, I mean, support for, for our mental health clinicians who are Filipino American. Um, I think that's needed. I have, I don't have a mentor who's Filipino American, right? Like that's in my, in my circle here, I've had to not only do the work, um, I've had to then find ways to, to do my work without getting that guidance. And that's extremely difficult. So if you need a little bit more visibility, it's to support one another. It's to put yourselves out there. It's to spread the word, spread the message, be on social media, make these appearances. I am, I'm definitely like nervous when I, like I panic when I do these talks because I feel like there's so much weight and there is because there's so much change that needs to happen. Anxiety is never a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it can be a bad thing. It's not, it's not a bad thing for me. It just, it's a, it's a, symptom of my passion I would say um yeah so there's like so many things that that we could do but those are just a few that I think you can maybe keep in mind um you know, as we move forward and you know try to improve um and help our community all right y'all you heard it little things big things do what you can yes. I just want to shout out because I know my therapist listens to my podcast and she is Filipino American yeah, and she is amazing. Yes. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say her name because of patient and therapist confidentiality. You could, you could, you could break your for that. Yeah, you could break your own. Well, the therapist can, but you can. Okay, Sharon Oy, yes. you are a queen, and I love you so much. And I'm so grateful for the work that we have done. Y'all, if you are in the Los Angeles area and you are Filipino and you need to talk to someone who's Filipino, she is there. If you are in the IE, go talk to Jen. Okay. Um. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to start um, doing my sessions remotely. So if you're in California, hit me up. Yes, yeah. wherever a, you I, are. The access part of it was really important for me. So I'm like, I got to do this telehealth thing so I can reach more people. You know, that's a great segue. So, like, where can people learn more about you and, like, how do they book an appointment? Yeah, so my my website is under construction, uh, but you can find me on LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn. I'm also on ResearchGate, um, but I love connecting with people, so you can just email me, jennifergracetorres at gmail.com. Get in touch with her, folks. Get in touch. Get in touch. Jen, I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> I'm so happy that... We are so happy that you came to talk to us and to educate us and our listeners and to empower us to be us and to, to grab those tools to be our authentic selves and to be unafraid to talk. 
and just be. Um, I am. You should be so proud of yourself, Jen, because I am, and I'm just so happy. Um, again, uh, thank you so much for being here. Me search, y'all. This was Jen Torres. Jen Torres. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. I'm very glad that we had uh, Jen on the show. I know. Um, because we talked a lot about, or we've talked a lot about mental health in like different episodes and stuff. And like, it's already kind of towards the end of season two. And we finally have an opportunity to share an interview with somebody who has expertise in the field. Yes. Yeah. What are your takeaways? Oh, boy. So many. A bajillion. So many things. A bajillion. A bajillion. <laughs> um, but to choose one, so many profound things. Um, one of the many things that stood out to me was how she talked about um, how our generation and the generations before us didn't really have the clear language to talk about the things um, that they were going through. Um, mentally, emotionally, and how it was more pointed towards like a physical sensation, mm. a physical feeling. Um, so that makes me think about how our mental health is really a seminal part of our entire whole being. And I think that's something that we don't think about when we think about our health, not yeah. immediately. Um and our mind and our soul is so connected to our bodies. It it really is. So it's it's I think it's important to see that part of our health as our entire how we should see our entire well being. I guess yeah. this is yes, holistic well being. Um but yeah, so it just makes me think about how our the older generation would say, Oh, I have you know, um, high blood sugar or high blood pressure, just like Jen was saying. Yeah. And I can remember, um, like, my family saying that and whatnot, or even adults that I noticed today, um, even not in the physical realm, but um, they might say, like, oh, they just might have the blues, you know? The blues. The blues, or they're just really like just really really sad but mm -hmm. depression the word depression is so ugh. yeah um, stigmatized it's so stigmatized so i i don't know it just makes me want to dive into how we can incorporate that language a little bit more into our conversations like jen said how how are we going to invent how are the leaders of the psychology world going to invent this new way of therapy to hopefully the older generation and our generation? That's just something I'm thinking about. And um, yeah. Yeah. So you said something um, about how, you know, your mental health really impacts your physical health. Mm hmm. Um, so I think mental health, being that it in impacts the individual 
it really has potential to impact your community and the people around you. So like if you don't take care of yourself, you're putting like the people around you kind of at risk. Yeah. As well. Like I remember a moment where I was going through like um, anxiety. I was like burnt out, feeling some sort of way about like, you know, I was just like overwhelmed. Like those moments in our society where we feel because of capitalism, we have to like perform or outperform, but that, that does something to your mental health and the way that that like manifested itself in how I operated with other human beings was not good. And like, mm. you can just tell, like if, if you're, if you don't have your mental health in check um, and if you don't like give yourself a, a break from all of those things, it can be det- detrimental to your relationships and the, the work that your community is trying to do. Yes. So I think it has like broad applications and like impact, like what we're talking about today. Um, One thing that I took away from this conversation with Jen was the, basically the whole like destigmatization of therapy and mental Mm -hmm. health care. Um, She said something about how therapy is literally just two people engaging with each other, having a conversation, building a relationship and getting to know with one or getting to know each other. Um, And it's literally for everybody, whether you're going through something or if you want to um, improve yourself and or your relationships, like therapy can be a tool for everybody, regardless of what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. And I can, I can definitely attest to that because I have had a lot of, issues um and a lot of like mental and emotional hurdles i've had to cross over and jump over because of a lot of the traumatic uh situations i've had to face um as a as a younger kid um and in my young adulthood and i felt it getting in the way of my relationships you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, you know, uh, what did, what did she call it? She called it like maybe smiling depression, which oh is my like God. also that. I feel like everybody know, has that. Yes. Toxic positivity of like, yeah. oh, just, you know, shoo it away, shoot away. It'll just get better, you know? And I feel like that kind of mentality and perspective is one false and two really got me into a lot of bad situations, I feel. Yeah. Um, and because that pisses would, me off. Yeah. <laughs> Toxic yes. positivity. It really does. Like positivity is not shooing things away. Positivity is knowing truth and seeing how you can improve that. Mm-hmm. It's not pretending like it's not freaking there. <laughs> yeah. It just reminds, it's like this whole, that, that particular piece is like triggering for me, especially. Yeah. Because I remember... As a child, as a, as like a, a teen or whatever, mm-hmm. I'd be freaking angry about something and someone would tell me like, just smile. Why are you so upset? And that would piss me off so much more. Mm. And like, surprise, that did shit to my like relationships with people because it's like, yeah. you're, I'm not feeling like my my identity, my my emotions 
are recognized and validated. What I'm upset yes. about is is minimized and meaningless. Well, fine. Fuck this then. Like, what's the point in engaging with somebody who doesn't care about things that I care about? What's the point yeah. in like caring about things that matter to me if it's going to be minimized? Like, these are things that as a Filipino culture, like, or maybe Filipino American culture, I'm not sure exactly what the experience is for Filipinos across the globe, but I know for like me and my friends to be spoken to in that manner where you're like delegitimizing. I don't know. I don't know if that's a word, but like minimizing basically somebody else's experience and just simply saying the solution is to just be happy. Fuck that. Yeah. No, fuck that. And yeah, I've had to shrink myself over and over and over and over again because of, you know, like, no, you're fine. Being told that I'm fine, being told that I'm okay, being told that I should feel X, Y, and Z, put a smile on your face. I Fuck, my freaking screen name in uh, junior high, high school is Sweet Smiley Panay. Uh-huh. But if anyone even knew what was going on in my home, you would know that that truly wasn't how I was feeling. Yeah. You know? And people are allowed to be more than one thing, like emotionally and shit. Like you don't have to be happy like all the time. You can go through like the human experience is a broad spectrum of emotions. Like give people a fucking break. (laughs) Yeah. So that really can stem into like even more toxic behaviors, which I knew I know that I've had in, in certain relationships. And it took, you know especially being in a marriage now, like you have to learn how to communicate and work as a team. And when you have that kind of background, it's a lot harder to do that. Yeah. And so showing up for one myself so that I can be my best self for me and showing up, showing up for myself is also showing up for Michael. Yeah. In my marriage. Yeah. And I'm just so happy that I feel like me and Mike just keep leveling up. You know, because we are always, both of us are committed to being our best selves. And we put in the work. But it's about acknowledging what work that you need to do and unlearning the things that you need to unlearn. So -hmm. that you can unlock all of these bars so that you are just you. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to future generations because I feel that the stigma behind mental health and like mental health care is at least going away so that people are mm-hmm. actually seeking this out as like preventative, like mental health care as preventative measures as opposed to like, like last resort kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and the more that it's out on the table as like available and appropriate options for like just overall well-being and care, I think more folks will have conversations with with one another about their own experiences. Jen even talked about this, like just normalizing the experience of taking care of your mental health. It's going to do wonders for the experiences, the lived experiences of the generations that come after us. Yes, normalizing all the things because all of this is normal. Yeah. 
Um, you know, after my blood draw, I was having like, um, I was kind of reverting back to like bad thoughts. Hmm. And I, um, I don't know why. This is just how my brain works. It wants to take two steps back. But I'm like, no, don't do that. No. No. But I texted Sharon after um, the blood draw and I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, it was challenging and I'm feeling good, but I'm also having like these uh, challenging thoughts again. And she's like, there's space for the challenging thoughts. That's okay. Mm -hmm. It can also live there. So just like little things like that, you know, accepting all the parts of us, the dark, the light the twisty all of it you know i think therapy is is there to embrace all of those parts yeah and um yeah it's i i really hope that the stigma goes away and i just you know it's so helpful and why not do what we can during this time here to help one another by being just by being. Yeah. Because I think that's all we can do for one another. Just be who we are. I like that. I can co-sign on that. Be you. Be beautiful. Be you. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Okay, so um, as we end the episode, as we have been um, – in our show, we've ended with like positive affirmations and whatnot, which I feel like happened pretty organically at some point. I don't know. We yeah. just like started saying positive affirmations. Do you have a positive affirmation for our researchers out there? Um, my positive affirmation is... Give yourself a hug even when you think you don't deserve the hug. Oh. Because you actually do. <laughs> I like that. Give yourself a hug. You always deserve you always deserve the hug. Always. My positive affirmation is you are enough, you are always enough. And you will continue to be enough. Yes. Hell yeah. All right. We love all of the researchers out there. Uh, season two is coming to a close. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hey, I just want to tell everyone, I feel so brave. And I hope that everyone feels um, this kind of bravery. Um in the near future for something that they need. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening. MeSearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tugatti. Editing by Dustin Domingo. If you enjoy me search, make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure to check us out at mesearchpodcast.com and follow us at mesearchpodcast. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is me search, folks. Woo!